Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, October 1st, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a discussion of the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast, slash film senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So there's some some exciting movies out in theaters today. Uh, normally we would do a spoiler discussion, but I don't think either of us have seen uh, the new Venom movie. You're correct. <laughs> so maybe that will be coming on Monday because I'm probably going to try to see it over the weekend. Although I'm not sure if that's going to be possible or not. But uh, it, it, I don't know. I've been seeing online that there's like, you know, some spoilers. There's an end credit scene. There's a lot of people doing some talking. So, uh, you know, be cautious out there on the, yes. this, uh, this <laughs> wild world of the Internet. <laughs> oh, Peter, before we jump into today's news, I, I wanted to, um, I guess, attach an addendum to a news item that Chris and I were talking about on yesterday's podcast. So I mentioned yesterday that uh, there was a report that Apple TV Plus, they had uh, sort of released the whole subscriber numbers and it was around 20 million people. And I forgot to mention that that 20 million number, I think, is only in the United States. So uh, that's not worldwide. And I, I didn't, I failed to mention that on yesterday's show. So just to provide that extra context, um, I think there were, uh, Adam, one of the, the listeners of Slash Home Daily tweeted at me and, and mentioned that the earlier much higher numbers were worldwide and and so when the uh that number was was released uh that it was only 20 million that was just in the u.s 20 million still seems low it for... does uh i mean we talked about it it was like yeah i think disney plus has like two, or uh, netflix has like 200 million worldwide uh and 20 million in the u.s i'm not sure what netflix's numbers are in the u.s but yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah very very high 
Yeah. And um, are, are they still doing that deal over at Apple when you buy a device, you get like an, a year of, of I mean, Apple? As, as far as I know, I have not purchased a new Apple device in uh, <laughs> quite some time. So I, I don't know personally, but I have not seen any uh, news stories yeah. about how that's gone away. And I feel like that's like one of the only ways that they have been getting people to pay any attention at all to Apple TV Plus, you know, as it is. So it would seem silly for them to cancel that. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about Venom for a minute because... Um, they did have the preview night last night, which, by the way, when, when did this become a thing? I, I know it probably became a thing like five, six years ago, but movies used to come out on like Friday nights and then then Thursday night, there would be like midnight showings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think like maybe five, maybe even 10 years ago, they started doing like these 10 p.m. showings which still went into the box office for the opening day. For some reason, I don't know, Hollywood accounting. I don't know how that works. But now there's like, you know, now it's like there's an extra day. It's not an extra day. It's an extra <laughs> night. It's called preview night. It, it, is that is is what I said correct, Ben? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I, I remember there being like those midnight shows and then, yeah, it would it would just inch earlier and earlier. I remember the, the, the jump from midnight to 10 p.m. and then it jumped to 8 p.m. the night before. And then I think I just, I want to say I just got uh, an email from MGM today that was talking about like, hey, No Time to Die comes out in, uh, you know, in, in one week or something. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Uh, yeah, and No Time to Die in, is in theaters in one week. Uh, it comes out on October 8th, including early access screenings on Wednesday, October 6th. <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're totally right. They've dropped it back like two full days now at this point. But w- when did we start reporting on the box office? And then like, this is now the second best preview night of the, uh, of the, <laughs> I don't know, like, it, I don't know, maybe I haven't been covering box office for so, so long, but anyway, so Venom came out last night. It had its preview night. And it, it took in $11.6 million. That's the second best preview night of the pandemic. And uh, that is higher than, I think, uh, the first movie, uh, which did around $10 million on this Thursday, Thursday night previews and went on its way to $80 million opening weekend. Now, it, it, nobody expects this movie to do as well as the first one because there's, you know, the fact that there's a pandemic going on uh but they were eyeing uh like 60 million and now there's the possibility it could reach over 70 million um so i I guess my question to you ben is we had all these like big box office hits during the pandemic and then you know the delta variant came around and it seemed like things were going down again and then uh shang chi came out and that was a huge hit and and now this is are, are things on the upswing for movie theater box office? I think it sort of seems that way, but who knows, Peter? Everything is so <laughs> fluid. It's it's tough to make any like big predictions. But yeah, it definitely seems like um like things are are ticking upward. Yeah. Um well hopefully they don't <laughs> they don't go on the downturn again. <laughs> uh let's talk about Sam Ramy and Doctor Strange 2, uh what is it called? Multiverse of Madness. Uh I know Ramy has been doing some interviews lately talking about why he took on this project, especially after, you know, uh he's famously the director of the Spider-Man trilogy over at Sony. Um so uh a lot of people were were uh i guess like surprised that he would want to dip his toes into a superhero project again and he's kind of given that answer 
Yeah, he was one of those people who was surprised himself. He said, I didn't know that I could face it again because it was so awful having been the, been the director of Spider-Man 3. The internet was getting revved up and people disliked that movie and they sure let me know about it. So it was difficult to take back on. Um, so yeah, it sounds like, uh, you know, I think the internet was a much different place in 2007 than it is now, Peter. Like the the, <laughs> the idea of a fan outrage has become mainstreamed in a way that it absolutely was not in 2007. But I remember the response to Spider-Man three being pretty vitriolic, you know, at, at that time. Uh, it, it was yeah. it was one of those movies. I think it was maybe hurt a little bit by the um, the expectation game that people had coming off of Spider-Man two, which he made in I think two thousand four, and that is like still to this day considered one of the best superhero movies of all time. And so people were really amped about that. You know, the the inclusion of Venom in live action for the first time was a big deal for a lot of people. And the problem was that like Sam Raimi didn't really get to make the movie that he wanted to make. Like, you know, in the years since there've been all sorts of stories that have come out about how essentially the producers of that movie, like forced him to include Venom in, in the Spider-Man three storyline when he didn't really want to, they sort of forced him to shoehorn in another love interest for uh, Peter Parker in the form of Gwen Stacy played by Bryce Dallas Howard in that movie. So yeah, the the film just is like now one of those examples of like, you know, almost (laughs) like a Batman and Robin kind of thing where it just feels overstuffed. There's like too much going on and the movie just can't really bear the, the weight of all the, that it's being asked to carry. So um, yeah, people have, you know, have not really been, I, I, I wondered, I, I searched on, on the, uh, in the archives of Slashfilm.com oh, no. to see if we've ever written an, an <laughs> article where it was like, you know, Spider-Man three is good actually. And we have not yet, but I, I would not be surprised if somebody, uh, you know, especially with the influx of new writers that we have for the site and all these new voices and opinions, if somebody out there thinks that, uh, Spider-Man three is actually some sort of unsung masterpiece or something. So I, I hope that we, um, we actually publish an article like that just cause I'm curious and reading somebody's take who, who might think that, but. Oh, I, I thought you were going to bring up, uh, when it came out, I was, I don't want to say I was like very positive on it. I, I, well, okay. Let me give you some context here. <laughs> I was not a fan of the first Spider-Man movie. It, like, seemed very cheesy. There's that like battle in Times Square while like Macy Gray is playing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just like so much of it I did not like. Uh, Spider-Man Two is for the longest time was my favorite uh, comic book movie. I I don't know what probably Guardians maybe uh, took took over that spot, but. Um, so for a long time, that that was like it. And that movie, to me, made the first movie a better movie. It was one of those sequels that I, <laughs> I actually enjoyed the first movie more because I enjoyed the relationships and how we did uh, with, with him and Mary Jane and, and Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 3 is a mess, yes. And it, it it's the type of movie that makes me so nervous when I hear like they're, you know, Matt Reeves is doing a Batman movie and it has like 10 different villains in it. Uh, that that worries me a bit of, of course, uh, Matt Reeves is a great director, but so is Sam Raimi. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I will go to bat and say that I don't think Spider-Man 3 is as bad of a movie as most people say it is. It um, The Venom stuff is, is crap. <laughs> it feels <laughs> crammed in there. Uh, the Sandman stuff, I, I do like that they kind of try to Rami tried to make the third movie a conclusion of a trilogy. And I that's what I think I appreciated 
Um, I guess I maybe appreciated that in <laughs> Skywalker and people didn't appreciate that too. Um, but I appreciate that like Sandman was, you know, uh, connected to the death of Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. I, I guess spoilers for Spider-Man 3 here. Sorry. <laughs> um, I like that it all came around back to the Osbournes and uh, the the story really with that that conclusion is really a three-act story about Peter and the Osbournes. And I, I enjoyed that. Now, okay, there's the whole dancing sequence, sequence, which is horrible. There's a lot of bad stuff in there, but I don't think it's nearly as bad as people say it is. Yeah, it strikes me as one of those things where the the dancing scene, especially, is like so <laughs> easy to mock that it just became it became yeah. one of those things where sometimes the internet like gloms onto something and and um, you know turn like memifies something in such a way where it sort of feels like the entire like like groupthink has taken over to such a degree that like everyone really thinks Spider-Man 3 is terrible through and through. But I think you're right. I think there is a there are a little bit of um, you know, there's there's a silver lining in that movie um, that it, it reminds me of the Lost finale, honestly. Like there was just there are these narratives that form and like, yeah, it, if you go on the Internet now, it seems like everyone hated the Lost finale because that's just been a thing that's that popped up from a a small vocal contingent of people and then has just been amplified in the years since. But if you look at the reactions at the time, I think it was a lot more divisive than it seems. It seems like, uh, you know, it was, it was more split down the middle between people who loved it even then. Um, And now of course there are people like me and HT and, and, you know, (laughs) uh, those among us who are like vociferously uh, defenders. uh, Yeah, exactly. Defending it. Um, But yeah, the the Spider-Man three situation is is very much the same thing in my mind. Has Sam Remy explained what brought him back to the comic book fold? Well, he basically said that Marvel, you know, that the opening became available for Doctor Strange 2. Scott Derrickson, who directed the first film, ended up having creative differences uh, and and stepping away for this sequel. And uh, I guess somebody at Marvel was saying like, hey, Sam Raimi would be great for this. And they came to him and he thought to himself, I wonder if I could still do it. And that sort of challenge (laughs) is what sort of drove him to, um, I guess, overcome the the internet vitriol that he experienced all those years ago and and uh, jump on board this movie. So I'm excited to see what he does here. It's wild to me, absolutely insane, that Sam Raimi has only directed two feature films since Spider-Man 3. He directed Drag Me to Hell in 2009 and Oz the Great and Powerful in 2013. And that's it, Peter. That is insane. This is like Sam Raimi, he's a, he's a huge name in the world of movies. And for him to have not directed a feature since then is just wild. Okay, I, I'm sorry to take the, the off-ramp here, but you, you bring this up and this, this does seem shocking to me. What, why do you think that is? Do you think it's that he, uh, the stuff that he's wanted to produce hasn't just hasn't you know gotten that green light? Or do you think – what is the reason? Man, I wish I knew. Um, you know, he – for, I guess I don't know enough about Sam Raimi's uh, filming style to know if there's any sort of, um, you know, like somebody like uh, Doug Lyman, for example, who directed Edge of Tomorrow and the first Bourne movie. Um, you know, he's he's one of those guys that has like an outsized reputation in Hollywood for being, uh, you know, somebody who goes over budget all the time and like doesn't, you know, really stick to the script and is constantly like rewriting stuff on the fly. And a lot of his movies turn out really well, but he has like a... Um, 
a style that I would say is not quite friendly to like, you know, executives, <laughs> you know, people who like stuff done neat and tidy. And I, I don't know if it's something like that where Sam Raimi has just like a style that sort of clashes with a lot of, uh, you know, the suits who, who sort of uh, hand out green light power. Or if it's just like you said, he just hasn't found those projects that he's really wanted to, to do. I mean, he's done a lot of TV work uh, in, in those intervening years, but, um, but no movies. And like, that's what he's primarily known for as a film director. So, um, I, I'm just happy that he's, he's getting back into it regardless of like the fact that it's a Marvel movie. And it sort of seems like he is a great fit for a really wild Dr. Strange movie that jumps through all these portals and multiverses and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited to see more work from him. It just seems strange to me because Drag Me to Hell came out in like 2009. And from what I remember, critics loved that movie. Yeah. And oh, yeah. not only did critics and audiences love that movie, but like it, it made, uh, let's see, $91 million worldwide and it was made for $30 million. So, I mean, that's a success. So, I yeah. mean, it's not like a home run, but it's like making three times the budget. And I'm sure it did well on home video. Yeah, ninety-two percent of Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm just surprised. I, I know Oz, the Great and Powerful, was not the success Disney wanted, but mm-hmm. it seems like he could have gone back and done some horror movies or something. I, I guess maybe the TV genre or TV medium allows for someone who's maybe a more auteur filmmaker to have more, you know, more creative freedom. So yeah, maybe yeah. that's what it is. Okay. Anyways, um, speaking of the TV realm. Cruel Intentions is getting rebooted for television. And uh, this time, well, f- first of all, five years ago, NBC was going to make a Cruel Intentions. Like the, this was a, I believe it was a book that was made into the movie in 1999. Um, and NBC was going to, five years ago, was going to make a sequel that was from the film's original writer-director. And then they passed on that. I think maybe they made a pilot or something. Uh, now Amazon's IMDb TV is developing a college set reboot of the feature. And uh, I have some details here. Okay, so the new take is from Phoebe Fisher and Sarah Goodman. Uh, they are the people that are responsible for the I Know What You Did Last Summer uh, reboot on Amazon, which I have not seen. Um, and the story is, is being reconfigured in an interesting way. I think it revolves around two ruthless step siblings who will do anything to stand top. Well, that, that, that much is like the original movie and book. Uh, in this case, it's the Greek life hierarchy at a elite Washington DC college. So after a brutal hazing incident threatens the entire system, they'll do whatever it takes to preserve the, their power and reputations, even seduce the daughter of the vice president of the United States. So I, I do think it's interesting that it's, you know, Washington, D.C. set. There's going to uh, maybe be an air of political uh, thing going on here. Uh, I was a fan of the original movie. Ben, what do you think of Cruel Intentions getting a TV treatment? I totally missed. This is one of those phenomenons that was like a huge deal to people when I was in <laughs> middle school. Like all of my, I guess my classmates and my colleagues at that time were like, you know, going crazy for this movie. And for some reason, I don't know why I just never saw it. I, I completely missed all of the conversation around Cruel Intentions. So I don't have much of an opinion here other than 
IMDb TV just seems kind of like a dumping ground of a streaming service. Like, yeah. I know that it has that new Bosch spinoff, um, but that's kind of the only thing that I know it for. And the only reason I know that is because I wrote an article about it when that Bosch news happened. So, like, I don't know if I ever would have heard of IMDb TV uh, had I not been working for Slash Film. So, um, you know. By the, it, by the way, is Bosch the only TV series to get a spinoff? That's essentially about the main character in a new th- thing. I mean, I guess like Dexter, but that's a reboot. That's not a spinoff. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything. It seems like such a crazy scenario where. Yeah, for the main character. Yeah, because uh, I was like, <laughs> immediately I went to Cheers, like Frasier and Cheers, but, but uh, Frasier yeah. was not the main character of Cheers. So, it, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I would have to think about that one, Peter. That's a really, really good question. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, you know, I, IMDb TV is just, well, first of all, I don't understand why Amazon is still trying to make this happen. Like, nobody goes to IMDb to, like, being like, I want to watch original programming on IMDb. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, for the most part so far, it's been, like, really D or E rate programming and no one wants no one wants a new streaming service there's uh i guess it's free maybe it's ad supported so yeah. like that's the only reason that that people might be you know apt to check it out but like yeah ben have you ever watched any video on imdb before and used their horrible <laughs> video player no absolutely not it's horrible like even if you watch a trailer which i you know i go to imdb i want to like know about credits who was in this who was in, involved i want to maybe get some trivia i'll maybe look at some photos i maybe will try to watch a trailer but at that point their their video player is so crappy that i'll head over to youtube without even clicking on the trailer on their yeah. site uh i just don't think the world needs another crappy streaming service yeah, I think you're right. Unless they unless they do something, make some sort of serious change or, or get like, a, I don't know, Martin Scorsese to make a movie for IMDb TV or something. I, I feel like it's just going to be, uh, yeah, like a <laughs> second or third or fourth rate thing that just sort of like disappears off into the distance. Yeah, is, is, is that the way you get uh, people to consider your streaming service seriously is hire Martin <laughs> Scorsese? I guess that's the uh, that's the bar we need to. To, to achieve at this point yeah. <laughs> um i was actually watching um some episodes of the morning show season two is coming to apple tv plus i'm not sure how much i can say about that because i know there's different embargo dates for different episodes but i do want to say that it's funny that one of the one of the plot points this season on the morning show is the the network uh that the morning show is a part of on like the the, the the show is about this morning show that's on mm-hmm. like a, a TV network like ABC or something like that. And the network that the morning show is a part of is actually ready to launch their new streaming service, which is like something plus because everything's plus. And Naturally. it's just like how everybody on the show, everybody um in, in the, the, the actual show, not the show within the show, everybody on the show is like just talking shit about uh, – streaming services and how the world doesn't need more streaming services and i'm like <laughs> you're on apple tv plus the, the, the thing, <laughs> prime example of that so I don't wow know. Anyways. weird anyways okay let, let, let's let's move on to uh something more important this one actually is the biggest story of today 
and this is involving Disney and Scarlett Johansson. Uh, do you want to recap what's been going on here? Yeah, so Scarlett Johansson sued Disney uh, over payment that she was supposed to receive for Black Widow. It was it was tied to box office bonuses and the fact that Disney ended up putting Black Widow on Disney Plus at the same time as releasing it theatrically meant that that took a, a significant chunk out of the amount that uh, Scarlett Johansson would have been able to make and and was contractually owed, um, you know, in in bonuses on the back end. Uh, Disney responded to the lawsuit by essentially like uh, trying to run her name through the mud in a really how like, dare you do this during the middle of a pan- global pandemic? It was something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was, and it was it was uh, really in poor taste and and like a giant cell phone. Like there's there's no reason that that a massive you know however many billion dollar company should have responded in that way to something but it it really struck me as like they just felt personally attacked by this or like how dare you uh sue us so we're just gonna uh come out hot instead of like thinking through our response here but anyway this uh lawsuit has just been like you know uh, percolating for a little while now i think about two months i think this was like late july she filed this suit and everybody has been saying like there's absolutely no way this is actually going to go to court because if that were to happen Disney would have to open their accounting books to to essentially the public, you know, to in court and like go through line by line, you know, this is how much this movie made in this territory and all that kind of stuff. And like you used the phrase Hollywood accounting earlier, Peter, and that's like a um, <laughs> sort of catch all term for like the way that uh, Hollywood has has been. Um, you know, they, they the studios like move money around and really w- quote unquote. There- wasn't okay. there a thing online where like someone showed the Hollywood accounting of uh, the first Harry Potter movie and how that movie still is not broken even? Uh, like I, I don't. I've not seen that one. I know that. Um, I think it's Ed Solomon, one of the writers of. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's one of the writers of Men in Black, and he was saying around the time that um, the third Bill and Ted movie came out, he was saying like he was tweeting about how the first Men in Black movie, according to the studio has has not been profitable yet even though like it has two sequels at this point and like you know it's a massive like pop culture thing everybody knows what that is and it made a ton of money and all that so um yeah that's a a good example of the sort of like quote-unquote creative uh ways that studios can sort of move money around in different buckets and continue to benefit themselves instead of paying out the people who um you know who helped actually create this stuff so uh, anyway, and in all of the, all of that is to say that that's the, the backdrop of this. And now after like, yeah, just a little bit more than two months, Disney and Scarlett Johansson have settled that lawsuit. Um, according to the initial report, no terms of the deal were publicly disclosed, but uh, deadline says that the deal, according to their sources, the deal will run to more than $40 million. So it sounds like <laughs> more than $40 million will go to Scarlett Johansson on top of uh, I think on top of the 20 million that she was already supposed to be getting, um, you know, just as like a, a baseline rate or whatever for, for appearing in the film. So uh, deadline also has this really weird line where it says the funds will not be paid by Disney in a single lump sum. If you pick up the creative accounting I'm putting down and, and no deadline, I don't pick it up. I don't know exactly what you mean by that. And there's no real clarification for what that is either. So I, I guess that means that Disney is not just going to be like, okay, here's a check for $40 million. I don't know if that means uh, that money will just be slowly paid out over time or if they're going to try to 
um, you know, pay her extra on other projects because she, um, you know, right before all of this happened, it word came out that Scarlett Johansson was supposed to star in a, a Tower of Tra- uh, Tower of Terror movie for Disney. And when this lawsuit happened, it sort of seemed like, oh man, I guess that project probably isn't going to happen anymore, especially since things got so nasty in public. But now with this, everything, you know, the, the settlement and all of this stuff, it sort of seems like that project is still going to happen as of, as of right now. Like the, I think one of the, um, the official statements at the time said like, you know, we look forward to, to uh, working together on a number of upcoming projects, including Disney's tower of terror. So like they specifically called that one out. So I don't know if that means that part of that $40 million is just going to be rolled into her sum or her, uh, you know, her salary or whatever for that movie. But uh, I, I have no idea what deadline <laughs> is talking about. there. Like, I always find it strange that something like this will happen and an actress or a filmmaker is just like so willing to go back to this this company that publicly tried to shame them yeah, and tried to, uh, I guess, cheat them out of $40 million in revenue. I mean, cheat is, you know, it's subjective if that's the case. It's obviously a very complicated situation and. I think Disney felt like they needed to go direct to consumers with the movie rather than have it in theaters and not make money and also encourage people to go to the theaters during the pandemic. So, uh, I, yes, it's very complicated. How they responded to it was, as you said, very, uh, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't, it rubbed everybody really the wrong way. And it, and it read to me like, and I think the reason why they responded that way, and this is at least just my interpretation, was kind of they had released a couple movies uh, directed to Disney Plus, and this opened the gate for other actors, other filmmakers to file their own lawsuit. And it, it kind of felt like release the dogs, because if we don't release the dogs, they're coming for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess my question to you, Ben, is now that this has been settled, does this set a precedent? Will Will there be other filmmakers, actors that will be uh, coming for Disney? I mean, nothing's been won in court. It's obviously been settled out of court. But it, the fact that Disney was willing to pay might lead other people that had projects that suffered a similar fate maybe, uh, you know, file something I mean, that's very possible um I, I think you know one thing we can say for certain is like every single contract from this point forward will have language in there you know specifically addressing this stuff and will be a lot more clear about what's going on so this yeah. doesn't happen again in um, the circumstances of a global pandemic <laughs> right <laughs> right um <laughs> yeah uh an act of god whatever yeah, yeah. um i think yeah it, it really um it it leaves them in a really interesting position here because there are several main, you know, like really big projects that debuted during the pandemic in that similar way. Um, I think one of the reports that I saw, maybe it was Hollywood Reporter, said that like Dwayne Johnson, who was the star of uh, Jungle Cruise, is not going to like go after Disney or something because the way that his contract was worked out it was like the the pay scale or something was like different than he had a different deal than what Scarlett Johansson had. So uh, I think that was one that people were kind of wondering about, like, oh, if if Scarlett Johansson wins this, um, if if Disney decides to pay her, 
maybe Dwayne Johnson will file a lawsuit for for Jungle Cruise. But it sounds like the situations are a little bit different there. So uh, who does that leave? Maybe Emma Stone, but she ju- for Cruella, but she just signed another contract to with Disney to be in Cruella too. So it seems like the relationship is is fine there. So I don't think she's going to be uh, filing a lawsuit. So maybe, maybe um, what's the people so- from Pixar? Yeah, for for Soul. Um, yeah, I was going to say Soul, but you know, well, first of all, the director is Pete Doctor, who is. <laughs> one like of the, the people running of the studio. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm sure he was screwed out of money um on the, the back end, but uh I don't see him standing up. Maybe, yeah. maybe Jamie Foxx. He seems like a person that uh might I don't know, like it, when you're signing on for a, a Pixar film, I, I wonder how much you get offered on the back end, anyways, because it's kind of like you're signing up for a Pixar film. You're not it's not about you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is I'm, I'm assuming the 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 sell of it from Disney, uh, but yeah, okay. Well, well, we'll keep an eye on this. It'll be interesting to see, and I'm I'm actually curious to see if the Scarlett Johansson uh, Twilight Zone Tower of Terror movie actually ends up happening. Because I don't know, Ben, would you work with the company? I don't think you answered that question. Would you oh, work yeah. with the company after that? Uh, so. <laughs> you know, in, in normal circumstances, I would say, no, screw you. Like, what are you talking about? You, you tried to dunk on me in public? Like, absolutely not. I'm just going to walk away. But the problem, Peter, is that Disney is now one of the only games in town. (laughs) Like as the, as consolidation continues to happen across the industry, uh, Disney owns Fox, which has Fox Searchlight and like, you know, uh, Jojo Rabbit was a Fox Searchlight movie. So like, it's not like, uh, Scarlett Johansson can just go off and make, um, independent movies or like mid-budget studio movies or whatever at every place in town, you know, there are still, um, there's, there are vanishingly few options for, for, uh, places to, to distribute, uh, content like that. Um, so even if she doesn't want to do big, big budget blockbuster stuff anymore in the vein of Black Widow, she still has to contend with the long arm of Disney sort of, uh, you know, controlling a huge portion of what gets made and, and pushed forward in Hollywood. Yeah. And I think in general, anyways, you got to separate the personal from the professional. And, but I don't know, it really seemed like they were getting personal with her. That was yeah. statement. <laughs> okay. Anyways, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.